I'm going to be reading Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 22 to 36. I will put my spirit within you. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. And I will summon the grain, and make it abundant, and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree, and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways, and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded in, and confounded in your ways, for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Um, I actually hate my own birthday. I don't know why. It's like a thing I have. And uh, it's probably because for the simple fact that, like, literally on our birthday, you did nothing. Like, this should not be a celebration of you. You just were born. We should be, you know, on your birthday, you should be celebrating your mom, really. She's the one who did all the work. Dad didn't do very much, but mom did a lot. So, um Happy birthday for me to my mom. Um, but I, I am actually really thrilled to be here and uh, thankful to have been able to speak at the men's retreat this weekend and get to know some of you guys, uh, the men. It was really encouraging to, to just live life for a brief minute with you. And um, I'm, I'm particularly thankful for your pastor, Pastor Dan. I know I don't need to tell you this, but he's just been a tremendous blessing to me and to many other pastors uh, in, in Sojourn Network and around the nation. Just, it's, been, it's encouraging um, to hear how he speaks of you guys, um, just his love and care and compassion for you, and just the honor that he gets to have to be your pastor. And, and so for me to be able to step into, um, to speak 
here is, is truly an honor for me. And so uh, I just want to thank you guys for that, this opportunity. But uh, if you've got a Bible and you want to open to Ezekiel 36, um, we heard the word read to us. And I know it's kind of a, a big passage, and I know that it's, it's Old Testament, so there's a lot of background and history that can go into this that I, I just can't get to today. And I know that there's so much more to be explored in this passage but really what this is, is God's vision for us in a, it's in, in a, in a nutshell. It's God's vision for his people. And I, I truly believe that if we can understand really what's he saying, really what is Ezekiel saying in this, this oracle, what is he doing, then I think we can see huge revival, huge change, huge renewal, huge uh, just transformation within us individually as a church and even as a people of God. And, um, and I think that this transformation that happens in us brings us joy. And it's not cheap happiness that I'm talking about. It brings us joy. And it brings us health, as uh, we see in Ezekiel. And not cheap, just cheap physical health. Not just making us fitter because we ate more kale or something like that. It's not that kind of thing. It's, it's deeper health, spiritual health. And I think it brings us wealth, as we see. Not, not, not material, not not material comfort and, and more money and gold and that kind of stuff, but a, a wealth of just uh, of joy, of richness, of life, that kind of thing. And, and this is transformation that men's marriages gives hope to the hopeless. It, it, it brings comfort to those who feel shame. It, it eases the guilt of those who carry the guilt of their past. All of that, it brings a transformation that changes a city. And we have, the, we have to really capture what is being said. Um, I know that, that you guys want this. You want this transformation. I know that this is something that we all crave. Or maybe it's just me. Maybe I just crave it in my own life. But listen, this is, this is where it all starts. This is, this is the vision that Ezekiel is giving us in a nutshell. And this is what I want us to grasp. So we look at two things. God is for his glory, and God is for you. Seems kind of opposed, doesn't it? Seems like God is for his own glory, but God is also for you. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. God is so for you that he isn't about you. Think about that. God is so for you that he actually isn't even about you. That, that blows me away. That's like something I would want to Twitter, right? You see, many Christians have got it into their heads that God is just for you, period. That's kind of how our culture sees the, 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 the uh, life, that God is for me. God is here to serve me and make me happy and make me satisfied and, and fulfill all of my wishes um, as if you were the centerpiece of his world. I mean, we know that God loves us. The Bible tells us so, right? We know that Jesus loves us. We know that this is true. We know that he's invested in us. We know that he didn't just create us to be just pawns in his scheme. So why then are we on this planet? Why are we in Baltimore right now? Why are we in this uh, creaky old building? Why are we here? Why are we doing this? Why do we call ourselves Christians? Why? So um, we need to get to the core. We need to get to the foundation. We need to 
get to something that is going to anchor us in, that's going to hold us up. Now, let me give you an, an example. I used to be in Boy Scouts. Anybody was in Boy Scouts? I'm just That's a boy thing, so half of you wouldn't have been that. But um, I was in Boy Scouts, and I had to, to become an Eagle Scout, which is like to finish Boy Scouts. You had to get so many merit badges. And I remember going for uh, a merit badge uh, for boating because my grandfather owned a boat, and I thought, surely this shouldn't be a problem for me. My grandpa owns a boat, and he's let me, dr- he's let me drive it like three times. So I'm, I got this. But the boating wasn't like one with motors and just a steering wheel. It was the sailboating kind. And so I had to learn all of these things about the sailboat. And one of the things that is fascinating about the sailboat is they have this thing that you never see called the ballast or the live ballast. Has anybody heard of that? Right? It's that big um, sort of the, the, the rudder type of thing that, that goes through the boat, the bottom of the boat, and is down under the water. So when the wind blows in the sail, it doesn't just tip the boat over, right? And it's there, and it anchors us in. Well, I think what Ezekiel is doing here is giving us God's ballast for us, right? Because wind, life comes in, pushes us over. It's just craziness, uh, all that's going on. So we have, to be, uh, we have to have something to give us balance, in the craziness of life. And I think that that's what God is giving us here. That God is this vision for Jesus' church. So in this account in Ezekiel, we hear God's motivation. We hear him say in verse 22, what is, what is his motivation for you being here, for creating you? It's not, he says, verse 22, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And again, verse 32, it is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. So he's kicking down the idea, the world's idea, the same idea that we have in our day to day, that life is all about us. He's kicking it down and he's saying, no, it's not about us. It's about the Lord. I mean, God isn't transforming our lives just for us. Not at all, but God is transforming us for him. I mean, that's a simple idea, for his own glory. And it's not just here in Ezekiel. Let me just overwhelm you with some Bible. I want to overwhelm you with a lot of Bible verses so that you leave here and think, okay, I get the idea. I understand. You, you, over and over and over and over and over and over again, God is saying it's not about you. He's saying it over and over. So let me start with Isaiah 48. There's a ton of verses I'm going to skip too, but he says in Isaiah 48:11, for my own sake, in case you didn't get that, he says it twice, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. Now this is a really weird one from Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 11. Some of you are just going to be like, the Bible is weird. And it is at times. Um, And this one is it. But it says, Jeremiah writes, For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man. That's exactly how it sounds. So I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory, but they would not listen. Now he's saying, I mean, it it is how it sounds. He's saying, as a tight pair of underwear clings to you, that's how my people will cling to me. 
the precious parts of you. Well, I mean, it's, it's weird, I know, but, um, I, I'm, I'm, but, I'm, but the point is that there's, there's an intimacy. There is a purpose that God is doing this. He is wanting us to live and to be for his glory. It's all about him. And we cling close to him, and it's not just for us. He's saying, I called my people close to me for, for my people, for my praise, for my glory. And, and let's continue on. Isaiah 43. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. See, the whole reason we're here, that we go to work, that we go to church, that we work on our marriages, that we work on our relationships, that we work hard in school, all of that. We serve the city. It's all for his glory. And over and over again, the Bible is telling us this. And Ezekiel is just another place in that where he's saying it is for my name. It is for my glory that we exist. So why do we still, why all the time do we still walk around thinking life is about us? I mean, I'm constantly asking myself that. Why do I think it's about me? Why do I soak in this glory that is not meant for me? Why? It's not God's vision for us. It's not why he made us. And at the end of the day, it is not good for me. It's actually not good for me at all. Now, this isn't just an Old Testament thing. In your case, you're wondering, why is he just reading Old Testament Bible verses here? We see Jesus in his last days heading to the cross. In John chapter 12, we see him. He's going to the cross, and he says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. You know, there, there's times where we think Jesus, Jesus, um, of all people, should be taking glory when he was on earth. But how many times did he say, I've come not to do my own will, but to do the will of my Father? Do you think he's trying to say something to us? As he takes on the form of a man, as he takes on flesh, as he comes incarnate to dwell like one of us, he lives like one of us to the fullest where he is saying, it's not about me right now. It is about God, the Father. And he's come to glorify him. So then we see Paul show us Jesus' death on the cross was for God's glory and his righteousness. In Romans chapter 3, where um, Paul writes, God put, he put Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood. Goes on to say, to show God's righteousness, and it continues on, it was to show his righteousness at the present time. It's about him. That's why Christ died. I mean, this is serious. This is so serious that in Acts chapter 12, we read the story that should scare us in the right ways, in all the right ways, when uh, Herod was struck down for not giving glory to God. It says in Acts 12, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God glory. I mean, you imagine the angels in heaven, they know it's all about God. They know it's all about his glory. And they're just like watching. They're like, man, why is he not? Like, Jesus, let me at him, right? Let me at him. They're not living for your glory. So what all this means, what all this means, simply put, is whatever you eat, drink, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Simply put, right? It's so simple. 
Now, I could go on and on and on with verses. It's clear to see that, that our life isn't about us. God doesn't exist for us, but we exist for him. But now I want to look at almost an opposing statement. But I hope this all connects, that God is for you. Because oftentimes we can get into despair, can't we? Because we're like, I, you know, I, I'm, to be honest, I don't live for God. I don't live for his glory. I love to soak in the praise and the glory for myself. So then God is for us. What does that mean? You see, God is so for you that he isn't about you, which makes him even more for you. Just keep thinking about that. Dwell on that. God is so for you that he isn't about you, which makes him even more for you. Now, let me try to break this idea down. You see, in Ezekiel, God was interested in saving the, uh, the Israelites from themselves. He wanted to save them from themselves, not necessarily from the warring enemies, the enemies that were coming in to attack, not even from outside evils. He wants to save them from making life about themselves, from thinking too highly of themselves. You see this happens to us, doesn't it? I mean, so many times we arrogantly are looking to ourselves for everything. Our vision for success becomes about whatever we can do, how good our kids turn out, how good our grades are in school, how good our relationship is, and how everybody thinks we're super spiritual, then we're like, I got it. I'm, I'm varsity Christian. God is so happy with me. But think back to the Tower of Babel. Anybody remember that story in Genesis chapter 11 where the people use all their technology, and these, these incredible technologies, to build this giant tower, and they're all in one accord. They all speak the same language. They're the same culture. They're the same kind of people. And, and they make this uh, giant tower, and Genesis says, to make a name for themselves. They're doing it for their own glory. And the result then, the result from this, not from the tower, but from, for them trying to make a name for themselves was their destruction. God divides them up. The city's destroyed because they can't even speak the same language anymore. It was like one minute they're all unified, everything's great, and the next minute they can't understand anything. There's such divide, there's confusion everywhere. Was it because God's just mean, right? Because God is so frustrated with them, he's showing vengeance and paying them back. He's so selfish that he doesn't want his kids to feel good about themselves, right? Like, he's not like patting them on the back. Yes, you guys are pretty amazing. I mean, I created the entire planet and the world and the skies and the heavens, the stars. I mean, you guys made this tower. Good job. You see, we have, we have replaced God with this self-esteem or this name-making for ourselves. And God knows that when we start making our ultimate goal in life to feel good about ourselves for what we have done, then at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's worse. Just to say it simply, he's showing the people in the Tower of Babel, he's showing them grace. He's showing them grace by bringing that confusion and dividing them up because then they're saying, okay, maybe it's not about us. Maybe it isn't about us, which then at the end of the day is actually better for them. 
Things would be worse if they were thriving on their own. Things would be worse if they were living for their own glory. Things, at the end of the day, things would actually be worse if it was all about them. I know that this is true for my own life. If things ended with me, if it was all for my glory, if it all ended back and came back to me, then I know at the end of the day, it is so shortcoming. It's it's so short because what can I fulfill in, in the eyes of God? What tower, how great of a tower can I build in the eyes of a maker of, of the heavens and the earth? Now let me back up a bit in Ezekiel and get the bigger picture of how God, how he breaks this down in our lives. How he really shows us more and more that it's not about us and that's actually for our good. That is actually for, that is better for us. His glory was so big and so powerful and so awesome that, uh, that, that his, his glory actually would dwell not just in amongst the people, amongst the people, but would actually dwell in the temple. Some of you might know this from some church history, but we see in Second Chronicles that they couldn't. Uh, the, 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 the glory of God was so big and so powerful that only certain priests could go into this certain room because the glory was so big that I mean, they even tied a rope around their waist in case their face melted off and they died, and they had to pull the priest out. I mean, it was so, I mean, you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Indiana Jones, right? They, their face, the, the Nazi's face melts apart. Maybe some of you have seen that because God's glory is so big. It is. It's, it's, it's a beautiful picture of that. And, um, and so in Ezekiel chapter 10, just a little bit before our passage in 36, we see that uh, we're, we're, we're seeing this powerful story of how the glory of God left the temple. Ezekiel had this vision, this oracle that the glory of God leaves the temple. Just like we read that the glory, or just like we've seen, um, and, and we know now, but listen, just a, a chapter later in, in chapter 11, as the glory of God leaves the temple, Ezekiel says nearly word for word the same thing that he says in chapter 36. He says, and I will give them one heart and one new spirit, and I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. You see, it was devastating news at first. They thought God had left them. When God left the building, when he left the temple, they thought God was gone. That God would not dwell with them. That his glory would not be manifest in the temple anymore. But as Ezekiel shows us, he's saying that one day the glory is going to leave the temple, but it will actually dwell with us. His spirit will be poured out to us. And and hundreds of years later, Ezekiel's prophecy comes true as God's spirit is poured out into the lives of his believers in Acts chapter 2. You remember that? It's like the reverse of the Tower of Babel. Now they're actually hearing the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. They're hearing that in their own language. So where God brought unity or disunity in one place, he brought unity in another. All of that, both of those times were for his glory and for his glory to the people that needed to hear it. It's a beautiful picture 
how he changes and how he transforms the people of God, how he turns uh, the, 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 the desolation and the destruction of the lives of people and how actually that is the requirement for them because he says this is not somebody who's got life altogether. This is not somebody who's got everything all perfect and grand. It is somebody who knows or who is, it can be used for my glory. And, I, you know, when I was... When I was um, a new Christian. When I, I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. Um, I was forced to attend this youth retreat um, for, for uh, students, and I was the only non-Christian on this youth retreat, so I became the guy that everybody was praying for, and everybody uh, was hoping, you know, would walk the aisle. So they gave the invitation. It was not for everyone there. It was for me. And I could feel it. I mean, I, I literally had a friend who was stand in the aisle, and he would step aside every altar call. You ready? No, I'm not ready. I wasn't ready. Um, I, was, I was a pretty jacked up kid. Um, I felt like I was good enough. I felt like I was a good person in my heart. And I, I believe that um, despite, despite my uh, past and despite... Uh, using drugs and alcohol and women and all of those things that I had at that time as a young person. Um, but there was one guy, again, who was nothing like me, absolutely nothing like me. I am a punk rock kid um, wearing the plaid pants and Doc Martens, and, and he is wearing the nice pink polo shirt. And we're just nothing alike. But he looks at me, and he just says, uh, after, after I hear the gospel, this is the last night of the retreat, he looks at me and he just says... Um, do you want to follow Jesus? Something about that night changed me, transformed me, where I felt for the first time ever the presence of Christ in my life. And I thought there's no way that God would want a personal relationship with me. Like, I understand that he's God. I understand that he is glorious and he's big and all of that stuff. But the fact that he actually wants to come and dwell with me It's crazy. He wants to dwell with you. That is what the good news of the gospel is. That he's come and he's going to change your heart, take out that heart of stone and give you that heart of flesh so that he can dwell with you. It wasn't like he's looking at you and saying, this is a guy or a girl that's got it all together. They get good grades. Very organized. I can use that in the kingdom. They're very smart. They're going to make a lot of money. I can use that in the kingdom. I'm going to transform their heart. No. He he looks for brokenness. He looks for people that don't have it all together. He looks for people that are standing up and saying, I am a sinner. I don't have it all together. And he comes and he dwells. Because, because God is so, he's so for us that he isn't about us, which makes him even more for us. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace 
which he has blessed us in the beloved. Why God calls you, why God transforms you, why he calls me, why he transforms me is because his glory might be made known through you. And that is the best thing ever for you. So listen, our vision as a church, as a people, God's vision for you is actually one that points to him. Though you're going to fail and though you'll feel that failure, you're going to struggle and you're going to, you're going to feel that struggle, there is this reality that God is happy with that, satisfied with that. He wants to work in those failures, in that. He wants to, conf- he wants to conform you and, and change you and transform you into his likeness. God uses the most unlikely people in this because those are the people who are so happy with saying, yes, it is about him. It it is about him. God has to continually show us that. He doesn't need bright, young talent. He doesn't need the suburban prep who can throw a football over some mountains, right? He just needs broken down people who are humble and living for him. So God is so for you that he isn't about you, which makes him even more for you. We can plan, pray, expect great things, even here in in Baltimore and around our world, even with all that's happening, we can can expect great things. But it's not going to be for our sake. It's not going to be for our glory. And so we need to pray that God will take so many hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. Some of you here have been living for your own glory. You've been living for your own glory, and you know it, and you're wondering, why why am I not feeling this whole Christianity thing? It's because it's about you. It's about you. I'm just going to challenge you and ask you, let's live for him. Let's give him glory. Let's really strive for who he is in our lives. And so I want to encourage you and just call you to just turn to him now and even ask him to reveal things in your life that are about you and that you do make about you, give that to him. Just give it to him. You don't need to, you don't need to do something special. You don't need to do the, this thing all the time, you know, like a football player, whatever that makes a touchdown. Like that doesn't, that's not what he's asking for. He's just asking for you just to submit to him and just humble yourself before him. And that's really what I want to call us to as we close.